Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Welcome back to the Canadian Investor. I'm joined by my co-host, uh, Braden Dennis. I'm Simon Belanger. Um, so we're back with a full episode this week. Uh, last week we had a scheduling conflict, but uh, we do appreciate all the feedback that we got on Twitter. And we decided today to focus a bit more on some of the questions that we had for the uh, tweet that we sent out if you guys wanted uh, to discuss certain topics. Um, so we'll be touching some of those questions today. We won't be able to answer them all, but uh, we'll do the rest next week. So uh, we do appreciate your feedback and we love that you guys are engaged. Um, so, Braden, how's it going? It's good, man. We're back. It feels like it's been weeks since we've done a proper episode. So we're back, and we have so many different topics today. Uh, we're doing a mailbag episode. Thanks to everyone on Twitter that sent in these requests. So, without further delay, we are going to talk about gold. I find that when people start investing, uh, they go into two camps. They kind of venture into two camps when they're trying to figure out what their long-term strategy is. It's people that are like, oh, gold's an incredible investment. And then there's another camp where they can't even possibly see it as an investment. And I lean to to the latter for reasons that I'm going to basically rant about. Um, so the main reasons that people invest in gold are, oh, it's a store of wealth. It's a store of safety. Um, and I couldn't agree less. <laughs> I could not agree less. Um, and I'm going to go into those reasons. Let's talk about performance, Simon. Over the last 100 years, the S&P has returned 36,900%. Not bad. Gold in that time only produced 8,000%, 8,161 to be exact. And the data gets even more leaning towards stocks being the superior place for returns when you talk about the total return index. So now we're including dividends. So gold during that 100 years returned 8,161%. And the S&P total return index returned a whopping 1.4 million percent over the last 100 years, uh, which is, speaks to the power of compounding. Um, I mean, who really has truly 100 years in the stock market? Probably no one that's ever lived, but that's, uh, that is some impressive numbers. So, okay, let's shorten our time frame a little bit. Over the last 30 years since 1990, the total return index did 1,551%, while gold was 390%. So in the last 30, 30 years, um, those are the kinds of numbers. And I am actually surprised that gold has almost four times in value since 1990 um, because of the shift to technology. Gold is not a good currency. It's a horrible currency. Um, and you'd probably agree with me on that. I would even go out and say I would rather own Bitcoin than gold. And you know how I feel about Bitcoin. Yes. 
this. <laughs> I would, I but it's not even like oh I've I've turned to the to the Bitcoin side. It's just like that's how little I think of gold as an investment. Every time I think oh gold's kind of cool. I just Google YouTube videos about Warren Buffett talking about gold and he slaps some sense into me. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, don't, uh, I totally agree with you on that. I mean, there's a lot of uh, points against, uh, against owning gold and for sure it's underperformed stocks uh, in the long run. That's, that's, that's unequivocal for sure. So I'm interested to see what your stance is as a store of wealth uh does it provide safety do you believe in those things because all of the things that people buy it for i just like want a face palm and i'm sure someone could debate the crap out of me and make me look stupid but just go look at anything Warren Buffett has to say. He talks about it as a shiny thing of gold that does nothing and creates no value. And for me, that just that's that's it. That's all that's all gold is. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, for I mean, I agree with uh, all that you said. I'm gonna add a few more things. So in terms of a lot of people will say that it's an inflation edge. And if you look at uh, statistics on that uh, gold compared to uh, inflation, um, it's not it's very debatable whether it is actually an inflation edge or not. So um, if that's your reasoning behind owning gold, make sure you do some research on that, because I've looked at some graphics and uh, sometimes there's been periods of high inflation and gold has not kept up with that. Sometimes it has. So there's not a definitive answer in terms of being an inflation edge. The only uh, asterisk I would say is right now with all the QE that's going on, so quantitative easing that's going on around the world, all the various governments printing money. Um, you know, it'll be interesting in the next uh, three, four, five, six, seven years, uh, the effects of that and how gold will react. I don't know how it will. And it's hard to compare it to the past because the uh, level of easing that's going on is unprecedented. unprecedented. So um, that's something else I wanted to add. Um, it performs the best during times of crisis, but usually those are fairly short lived. Um, it's like Braden said very clearly, it underperforms stocks in the long term. Um, it's not very convenient to own gold as well. There could be some fees associated with that if you're keeping in a safe, in a storage vault. So you'll usually pay a fee to keep it there. Um, one of the issues as well with gold is it can be hard sometimes to know the purity of it. So someone might claim that it's 100% uh, pure gold when in fact it's not 100%. So there's definitely some risk in owning gold. Um, some people might mention that you can invest in, uh, I think there's a gold ETF. Um, I'd be careful with that because usually even though they're tracking the price of gold, those are usually... Um, they're usually associated with options and we saw what options uh, did with the price of oil earlier this year. Um, one of the reason why that oil ETF went into the negative was because they had to get rid of those options. If not, they would have owned the, the oil that was 
basically worthless. Um, so I don't want to get too much into detail for that, but that's some of the points that I would mention in terms of owning gold. Uh, one thing you guys may want to listen to is the episode we had with the host of Bitcoin Rapid Fire. He does talk a little bit about gold and the store of value. Um, and like Braden said, I think personally um, for a store of value, I'd lean towards Bitcoin. Um, it has a lot of advantages, a controlled money supply as well. Um, so for me, in terms of store of value, that's the one I would lean towards uh, over gold. Yeah, and that does not mean go buy Bitcoin instead. It's go do your research on what you think makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. We are just, uh, Simon and I, we fully just do not like gold. Have you ever owned gold ever? Like paper gold? Like as an investment, not like your grandma gave you uh, some gold. Uh, I don't think so. I'm trying. <laughs> Aside from that, maybe it's like small pieces of jewelry, but uh, not for an actual investment. No. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Me neither. Uh, ugh. Anywho, and you meet a gold bug, and it's like, oh god, it's like talking about religion or talking about politics at uh, Thanksgiving. Like, oh god, you're in for a treat an absolute argument that you're going to just shake your head. Anyways, better than us telling them to, to listen to it, go listen to the Oracle of Omaha on Talk About Gold, and you'll be like, yeah, yeah, that's really silly. Okay, Simon, we have a question from Todd T. Cook, 1980. I'm assuming that's a picture of his son uh, with a trophy playing hockey in the dressing room because... Uh, you're born in 1980 by the, uh, <laughs> I'm guessing from your Twitter handle. So Todd asks, I'd love to hear you two discuss how you'd handle this scenario. $50,000 to invest for 25 years until retirement. What would be your game plan? Stocks or ETFs? How many stocks? High dividend, high growth. How did dollar cost average over what period and how much each time? Well, very good question, Todd. All of those questions are just, what would you do with 50K investing for 25 years? So, Simon, I went first on the last one. Give us the hot take. This is not financial advice tailored to you, Todd. So, disclaimer, but this is what we would do. Yeah, so great question, Todd. And again, I want to thank everyone who uh, replied and asked us some questions. So um, so I, I'll try to break it down. You asked a few different things in your questions. So, um, And I think the second part of it, he's asking about uh, Inge House or your uh, your favorite company, Matt Braden. Yeah, he was also asking about Inge House. Uh, we we can talk about that later, but yeah. let's let's talk about the uh, so we'll get the plan. Yeah, here. we'll get back to that one another uh, episode. In terms of whether you should buy stocks or ETFs, um, that's not something Braden and I can really answer for you. I think that's something you have to ask yourself. Um, the reason why I say that is if you're not willing to put the time into keeping up with the companies you're investing in at least once a year, go through their annual report, listening. I know you guys hear me like I like to listen to the conference calls. Um, like every every year from the CEO and um, 
if you're not willing to do that work, then you'll most likely want to really focus more into ETFs. And if that's the approach you want to take, um, a good book that gives it a really simple approach. And we had in, uh, had this gentleman on our podcast as an interview is The Millionaire Teacher by Andrew, what's his last name? Hallam. Andrew Allen. So he gives some really simple strategies for ETF investing that do not require a lot of times. Having said that, um, you know, you can always do a part of it in T ETF and a part of it in stocks. You don't have to do one or the other. If that's something you're comfortable, say you're comfortable with keeping an eye on five companies and, you know, the rest you put it in an ETF, that's something you can definitely do. Um, in terms of how you want to invest that $50,000, um, let me give you an example. Let's say uh, in terms of stocks, I would definitely recommend not having more than 20 individual companies for the same reason I just said, because it's just so hard to, to keep track and stay on top of them. And you'll notice if you have smaller position companies, you might notice that you kind of don't really keep track of them really well. I've noticed that myself in the past. So I personally like having about 15 that's kind of the sweet spot for me i also have some etfs but for the 50k i'll give you an example of how you could do it so let's say you have fifty thousand dollars and you want to spread that over 10 holdings i'm saying 10 holdings because it could be stocks it could be etfs it could be just a variety of both so that means it's about it's five thousand dollars per holding so what you can do in terms of investing is just divide that into let's say four installments. So 1250 every time you invest for each holding. So it's an easy way that you could do it is those 10 holdings is week one, you invest $1,250 of holding A. Week two, you invest 1250 of holding B. Week three, 1250 of holding C. And then you repeat that until you uh, invested the first portion for your 10 holdings and then you restart so that'll actually help you spread out the um, you know your $50,000 investment and not invest it in one big chunk uh, the one big chunk you're basically trying to time the market if you just want to invest it all at once and if you don't time it properly uh, you'll probably regret it so by dividing that into installments you're really dollar cost averaging uh, that $50,000 $50, sum. And in terms of how to dollar cost average after that over a period of time, um, that's also a question for yourself. Look at your budget. Once you've invested the full $50,000, you can, whatever you can afford, you can every month say you can afford $100, $200, whatever it is. Well, you dollar cost average every month. You pick a stock, you pick an ETF, and then every month you put that same amount. And you don't have to really worry about uh, trying to time the market. Um, so that's my two cents about the $50,000. In terms, uh, the last part of your question, high dividend versus high growth stocks. Um, I would tend to stick a bit more to uh, really solid companies. Um, solid companies don't necessarily have to be high dividend or high growth. Uh, they could pay a small dividend and still have good growth. Uh, but definitely I would look at investing in solid companies. Your main focus should be uh, the best total returns that you can achieve uh, for that 25 year period. And I can totally relate to that because uh, I'm 1985, the year I was born in. So I'm in the, the same age group as you. Um, so yeah, Brayden, do you have uh, some, uh, some comments on what I just said? I agree with 
pretty much everything. The number of stocks, yeah, 15 would be a sweet spot for 50K. Keep in mind, you're only one person managing this money, and if you're going to own a whole bunch of stocks and dollar cost average them, then you're just racking up a ton of trade commissions as well. So I don't know which broker you're using, but something to consider if it's only 50K and you're going to be owning 15 stocks, maybe it's best to separate it into three and do five stocks, five stocks, and five stocks versus 15 stocks three different times. Uh, So I'd probably do the first one of picking your five best ideas um, and then doing your next five best ideas or going back into those same five. I mean, it really, the concept of diversification is, is good. It's great. If you want instant diversification, just go buy an ETF. So maybe you can do that. What I would personally do is I prefer to own the names of the highest quality possible. And if I can't think of ideas that are even better than the highest quality possible company, then I'm just going to continue to move more and more capital over time into those high quality names. So when you ask high dividend or high growth, I mean, you can definitely pick dividend stocks, but make sure the dividend is growing. You got 25 years. You know, if you're, if you're going to be withdrawing on this money, say this question was reworded to, uh, you know, I'm taking out this money in five years instead of 25 I'd say, okay, maybe, yeah, you want, you want that high dividend yield during retirement and to be able to withdraw on it and to be able to collect income, then yeah, go for a high yielder. You can just go ahead and pick up a high yield ETF stock and you'll get, you know, you'll get a lot of the banks. You'll get a lot of these consumer staples that pay up to 5%. Um, so that would be that, that answer. But this isn't that answer. This is 25 years. So you want to be going into high-quality growth names. Absolutely, without a doubt. Now, here's another concept here. How much bonds would I own in your, in your scenario? Absolutely zero. I would be fully invested in equities. Even in the five-year scenario, I'm fully invested in equities. I would much, much rather be in equities than than bonds for sure. And people keep asking me, Brayden, why is the stock market so divorced from reality right now? You know, there's a pandemic, social unrest, and the stock market just chugging along. Not today, but it has been. And my simple answer to that, and the, the most simple answer to that, the main reason, in my opinion, is where else are people going to be allocating capital? Bonds are absolutely garbage right now. The yields are terrible. And, you know, stocks is a better place to be for returns, even if you may think it looks terribly divorced from, from reality. I would not disagree with you. But equities are the place to be. When I say equities, I mean stocks. Most people would know that, but... So I digress, 25 years, pick 10, pick 15 stocks of the highest quality growth. If you're looking for high, high quality growth, Stratosphere membership platform, perhaps is for you, Todd. Anyways, I digress. 
Simon, I think we have uh, have answered Todd's question. I think we're on the same page there, man. High quality growth stocks will be the winner in the next 25 years. Speaking of growth stocks, today we are going to talk about Dacibo or Dachibo, however you want to pronounce that. This new tech software as a service company only IPO'd in October of last year. So we don't even have a full year of data, but we will give you our take. It trades at 16 times sales and is almost $1 billion in market cap. So it's still small, uh, trading at a premium price, 16 times sales. The market loves this stuff right now. Software as a service with revenue, rec- recurring revenues of 90%. Uh, wow, yeah, the market loves this stuff, especially business to business. They have some really high-quality clients uh, in technology, consulting, manufacturing, Names from BMW, Heineken, Walmart, uh, Randstad, HP, Uber, HubSpot, Bloomberg, Thompson's. And what they do is it is a cloud-based learning platform for enterprises. Real-time tracking of results, optimizing time, reducing costs. Geographically, right now, they have five offices in Europe, Asia, and North America. 71% of their business is in North America with around 2,000 customers across the world. That is the, the lowdown. What are you seeing in the Chibo, in this small software as a service, going like a weed company? Uh, yeah, so I did some research too, and I just want to give a shout, a shout out to Evan, who's the one that asked us that question, at Heal Evan. Um, so thank you. I'm not sure if it was you, Evan, that uh, put it in the uh, um, TCI index, but uh, anyways, it brought it on our radar, so big thank you for that. Um, so yeah, some of the things I noticed, I wasn't really familiar with the company all that much. I did some research. I wanted to see how they're like their software compared to competitors. And I found uh, elearningindustry.com. So they ranked the 20 best learning management systems. Uh, so LMS, that's what we'll be referring to. And they ranked second on there. I wasn't sure if it was biased or not. So I did some more research and on multiple uh, review sites of companies and users that uses it. Uh, they had an average and a lot of reviews of 4.5 out of five stars. So it seems like the people who use use this software really like it um, one of the um, risks of decebo is its size so yes there's a lot of upside for decebo it's uh, about what uh, 1 billion market cap if i remember correctly brayden it's just short it's like 960 mil. okay so short so it's still considered a small cap well it's in a field that has some pretty massive companies that are well established. So I'll just give you two examples. Adobe is uh, in that uh, 20 best learning management system. Adobe ranked first with their platform. SAP ranked third. I know PeopleSoft has some with uh, Oracle. So there's a lot of major companies that are also in that field, but it really seems like their platform is sticky because they have a 56% increase of recurring revenue uh, on a year over year basis. Management says that typically uh, their contracts are a year, are based on a yearly basis, and most customers opt for a two to three year uh, contract with them. Um, they have 
most customers will renew after that so that's always something uh, good to hear um, one of the other downsides like Braden said is because it just IPO'd uh, we don't have as much information on the company when it comes to their financial statements uh, because it was private before that. So what happens in those cases when a company is private is you just don't have access as much uh, transparency for those years that they were private. Um, they have a good balance sheet, a lot of cash. They are still losing a bit of money, but nothing too alarming. So those are kind of the points that I got. Um, definitely a really interesting play uh, for software as a service. I totally agree. It is an interesting play. Um, and it's done incredible since their IPO in 2019 of October of 2019, up 160% basically. Um, yeah, I mean, it's in a, like it's, it's the definition of a stock that the market loves right now, which is software as a service high gross margins, recurring revenue, revenue growth. It's just, it, it checks all those boxes and it's, it's a tech play on learning and learning software. It is just all the things that the market is loving right now. So part of me is like, Oh wow, this is just a great business. Um, Growth is incredible, but you're paying up a lot. 16 times sales is a pretty juicy multiple uh, to be paying for for this company. Um, but it's I, it's I put this in a bucket of stocks where I just go, yeah, it's expensive, but you'll probably do really well. Um, and that's kind of just the, sums it up for the the SIBO or the Chibo for me is. It's really expensive, and you'll probably do really well. Still, pretty small company, pretty lean, four hundred employees. Uh, the compounded annual revenue growth of almost seventy percent. Again, this is using when the data from when they were private. It would be audited, but but still. So they went from just under ten million in revenue in twenty sixteen to forty one mil at the end of 2019 and Q Q1 they did 13 and a half mil so they're already already poised for a pretty good year do you Simon do you look at this and go this is just like all the other super expensive fast growing SaaS or do you think that this sector has even more legs than something like uh telemedicine one that you're more familiar with or uh other b2b plays that are outside of lms like crm all that kind of stuff it's really hard to distinguish which of those total addressable markets is bigger and growing faster so at this point you are yeah i mean it's it's a it's a investment that you'll probably do pretty well on but is going to take this is what I'll say. I'll say this would be part of a really good, fast-growing SaaS bucket approach to selecting a couple of stocks that are in a similar type growth space in, in tech and put a little bucket together, 
pick five names and this this can go in there. And there's a lot of really, really high quality, high recurring revenue growth tech plays coming out of Canada. And this could just be one of those. Um, so, yeah, for me, it's uh, this, the same same thing as you. It's uh, I think there's a lot of potential in that company. Um, there's also some big competitors. So um, especially I don't know if Microsoft has that kind of platform, but think how easy it is for them to just, you know, push a platform to their enterprise customers when they already have them on Microsoft Office. So I'm just thinking about Teams, for example, uh, compared to Slack, like they've obviously created teams to compete with slack um so yeah for me it's that it's richly valued um the one thing i do like about them as well that i haven't mentioned is that it was founded by claudio urba who is in uh, 2004 i believe and he's still the ceo of the company uh, right now so it's founder led so i always like to see that in companies uh, he knows the company really well um the last point i would make is i would not be surprised if they get acquired just because I can see a competitor just being like, oh, screw this. We're not investing in uh, in creating a, a platform from scratch. These guys are doing a really good job. We'll just buy them out. Um, it shouldn't be your thesis into investing in them. But I really, given their size and given how large the industry could be, it is in terms of other major competitors. I can really see a company like Microsoft, like uh, Adobe, SAP, um, PeopleSoft, I mentioned before, um, any of those platforms, even Salesforce, uh, just inter- like just buying them out and just using that on their platform. Um, last side note, Salesforce uh, already has it in, like um, they have an option to integrate it in their platform. They have an agreement with uh, Docebo as well. Oh, very cool. Uh, the The acquired aspect is something that definitely has been popping up in my mind too when I look into this company because acquisitions in tech make so much sense, more than, in my opinion, than any other type of holding company because you can serve up this amazing platform to existing customers in a modular way, which increases revenue. So like someone like a Microsoft, like you said, already has this customer base, this vast customer base. And now you can sell them a modular learning management system with now all of Microsoft's branding on it. And it feels seamless to the customer. And that's why you're seeing big acquisition type oriented uh, software holdings like a Constellation software do so incredibly well because the acquisitions, you can actually extract so much value from them because of that large customer base that already exists. So you could see a huge premium being paid for something like this. Very good point. That should not be your thesis on it. But software acquisitions make so much sense. And that's why you see so so much of it. Because you can serve up a seamlessly integrated product to your customers. And the application is already so refined and so perfect that 
it just makes so much sense versus developing it in in house. So yeah, great, great point. That does it for this week, guys. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for the engagement on Twitter. If you want to hear stuff, the Twitter is search up the Canadian investor or I think the handle is CDN underscore investing and we will answer your questions there. We will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.